This is Cast Club Radio. Brought to you by Heritage Distilling. On Cairo Radio 97.3 FM. On Cast Club Radio, we believe every spirit has a story. And stories like good drinks are always better when shared with friends. Each week, we'll explore the intersection of cocktails, spirits, beer, wine, and life. It's Cast Club Radio. Here's your hosts, Lydia Cruz and Justin Stiefel. Good afternoon. Welcome to another episode of Cast Club Radio. Thank you so much for joining us on this fine Saturday. My name is Lydia Cruz. And I'm Justin Stiefel. And I'm Maura Dooley. And this summer has been jam-packed with fun events. I mean, we are just past the Pearl Jam Home Shows last weekend and also Heritage Distilling, part of something pretty fun, pretty special last Saturday night, uh, Heritage Distilling Evergreen Speedway Night. Justin, can you tell us more about that and how it went? Well, it was going to be fun, and then all summer we had no rain, and all of a sudden it decided to rain and have lightning the day where the Heritage Distillery 100 was supposed to take off uh, last Saturday. Yeah, so, but we had over 200 uh, Heritage fans and Casco members and uh, customers from around the region show up to uh, go to the races. The first race they had, the Napa 175, went off, uh, had a slight delay uh, around lap uh, number 92, but they were able to finally finish all 175 laps a little later. But because of the rain and uh, the continued lightning and the danger it poses to fans and to drivers while they're driving at such high rates of speed, they uh, canceled the Heritage 100, and we will have to now wait for next summer. Oh, man, bummer, but just building the anticipation up until next year. (laughs) That's right, that's right. (laughs) I I like that. Always a good spin. Lydia's known for her optimism. Uh, Brock and Salk often kind of tease her about it. Yeah, sometimes. (laughs) Sometimes it gets me in trouble. Other times, though. I'm having good feelings about next year's Evergreen Speedway night. <laughs> That's good. We'll we'll, uh, we'll make sure to have you there with uh, all the good luck that you're going to bring. Okay, yeah. I'll do a rain dance if I have to next year. <laughs> a non-rain rain rain dance. dance. Yes, like we a non-the no opposite of that, you know? <laughs> so uh, in the meantime, what is in the headlines this week? Well, something that I thought you and uh, Maura might find interesting. <laughs> There's a trend on Instagram now of women washing their hair with champagne and uh, not something I had seen or heard of before. There's an Instagrammer named Medina uh, Shrantata and she has shared a video in which she rinses her hair with a bottle of champagne. And uh, the article here talks about what a waste that is. Of course, I think we would all agree it's a good waste of champagne. But uh, she's got 290,000 followers on Instagram. Wow. Uh, Medina sections off her hair before dousing it with a bottle of champagne and then leaving it to dry naturally. Uh, and then she does up whatever her due is going to be, and she starts taking pictures of it. Uh, this is the same Instagram personality who previously claimed to use potato peelings to reduce the appearance of bags under her eyes. She's been under attack uh, by some people claiming that she's celebrating the wrong things. And, uh, of course, on the other side, people are asking questions. If I don't have champagne but I have Prosecco or I have sparkling wine from California, <laughs> can I do the same thing? And the answer was yes, if it's if it's wine and it's bubbly, go ahead and do it. So this caused me to think, Lydia and Mora, <laughs> what's the craziest thing you have put in your hair? <laughs> I mean, there have been some interesting trends over the years. This is by far not the weirdest thing that I think I've heard. I've tried avocado hair mask. Avocado is definitely one. I People oh. have advocated for mayonnaise in the past, which I, mm-hmm. I am so averse to mayonnaise that I could never 
get over that and do it. Um, when I was younger, I was told that if you put squeeze lemon in your hair and go in the sun, you get like natural highlights. Yes, but it actually just dries your hair out. Yeah. I remember that as well. That was a good <laughs> that was a good trend there for a while. Um, and then honey, I've also heard honey in the past. But as as any as with anything, I think you know, like these can work for some people because hair, like like any other part of your body, is so different and unique to the type of person that you are. Uh, it's kind of not a one-size-fits-all type of thing. And, yeah, I'm with you. Champagne seems like a sure waste to be using a whole bottle yeah. of champagne on my hair. I'm sorry. I'd rather drink it. I'd rather try some kind of hair product that's made for that and yes. drink the champagne while I'm waiting for it to exactly. do something to my hair. Or I'd just rather have, you know, frizzy hair and the champagne to drink. Yes. Well, I've never put any of those things on my hair. So uh, <laughs> I, that's why I was There's still time, in Justin. There's, hopefully there's still time. Yes. Uh, plenty of time. And I doubt I'll be doing that anytime soon. Um, also in the news, uh, we found this article that we thought was of interest. Wine condoms are now a million dollar business. Wow. I really think they Wine should condoms. have come up with another name because yeah. when you see the product, it makes sense, but it's mm-hmm. that's, uh, that headline really just grabs Branding. your attention in a way. Yeah. It does. It does. This comes to us from an entrepreneurial mother and son duo. How awkward is that? Uh, they started this wine condom business. They now have generated over a million dollars in sales. Started a couple years ago as a Kickstarter campaign. Uh, Mitch Strahan and his 51-year-old mother, Laura Bartlett, described their novel invention as the ultimate protection for wine lovers. Oh, gosh. Uh, which is also another uh, uh, interesting way of marketing it. It's aimed at drinkers looking to reseal their wine. Each disposable latex condom, in quotes, uh, is developed by a uh, rubber manufacturing company specializing in food-safe rubber products. It can be used on any size bottle. It comes in an individually wrapped uh, foil package like you would see in a regular condom. Kind of interesting. Uh, I don't know if I encourage people to carry these wine condoms around their wallets and purses, but, you know, the packaging is small. Uh, the idea for the product came about uh, because they did not want to reseal an unfinished bottle of wine with a cork. And uh, as they started working on this, uh, basically it is reusable and it is what the name implies. So they are available online. And if anybody has used these, post a pic. I'm surprised yeah. with so many um, companies switching to twist tops and uh, box wine becoming so much more popular that this is such a need that they're a million dollar business. That's impressive. Well, there's still a lot of wine that is uh, sealed with cork. Yeah. And uh, mm-hmm. while that continues to decline, these people are going to uh, continue to sell wine condoms. And it's I, uh, 15 bucks for a pack of six of them. I'd be interested to see, too, if, if any of the novelty factor wears off, because I think these would be a great almost joke gag yeah. gift, but it'll be interesting to see how long they are able to uh, to remain a part of the industry. Yes, we, we shall see. Mm-hmm. Be good uh, conversation around the campfire, that's for sure. <laughs> Lastly, found an article. Gin leads to the most expensive drunken shopping sprees. Uh-oh. This was a... Uh, it's Lydia's drink of choice. <laughs> yes, yes. Oh, no. So a Florida rehab facility called Archstone Recovery Centers surveyed more than 1,000 people in the U.S. asking them how much money have they spent on drunken shopping sprees, what they ordered, and what they had consumed beforehand. The survey found on average that people spent in the U.S. about $82 when under the influence of gin, which was higher than any other drink of choice. Gin was also found to be the number one culprit for people's most expensive drunken purchases, with the average amount topping $235. Ooh. 
uh, people who consumed whiskey and tequila spent just under 200. So the folks drinking gin are spending more on average, and when they spend, they spend in bigger chunks. The recovery center noted that there's no evidence that getting quote-unquote gin drunk is any different from any other kind of intoxication. Um, but they did ask interesting questions. The uh, purchase that led to the most regret was found to be mobile phones and accessories followed by books and home and kitchenware. So if you got drunk on gin and you spent money, you were uh, uh, most likely to regret buying that mobile phone while intoxicated. <laughs> uh, people said the most enjoyable drunken purchases were musical instruments, which I think is odd, followed by pet supplies and uh, health and baby items of all things. So the strangest drunken Amazon purchases while drunk on gin included a 55 gallon drum of lubricant, um, equipment to perform coffee enemas, oh, and uh, breast and bottom enlargement pills. Wow. <laughs> These are really, yeah, I, I found that A, that one of the things that people regret most is buying books. That makes me very depressed yeah. that that's on your, <laughs> that's on your regret list. And then also that uh, on your pause, I find it a little bit ironic that health items are one of the ones that like give the people the most joy while you're yeah. while you're while you're drinking. Coming up on Cast Club Radio, there have been plenty of creative alcohol-related inventions revealed in 2018. Which do you find most appealing and maybe actually helpful? It's next on Cast Club Radio. Thank you again for joining us on this fine Saturday. Now, there have been plenty of creative, mind-blowing, alcohol-related inventions in the year 2018. But which ones do you actually find the most appealing? Which ones would you actually consider purchasing? And would you find most helpful around your household? Justin, we start us off on this list. What are some of the uh, inventions this year that have been revealed? Well, you know, they say necessity is the mother of invention. Mm -hmm. And uh, as we go through these, we'll find out, are these things really necessary? Yeah. <laughs> uh, the first one is the space beer bottle. Uh, commercial space travel is supposed to take off, no pun intended, soon. And uh, Dr. Jason Held believes astronauts should be allowed to enjoy a cold beer mid-flight. I don't know if I agree with that. Uh, do you really want your astronauts getting drunk while they're up in space and have limited options? That's what for I was going to say. Is there like, drinking and yeah. piloting, sort of? Like <laughs> Apollo 13 could have gone very differently if yes. they'd been imbibing. Yeah. Drinking and Houston orbiting, would have really had a problem. Orbiting under the influence. Yeah. yeah crazy. Uh, he and his company, Sabre Astronautics, have launched the world's first space beer bottle in collaboration with Four Pines Brewery. The bottle uses modified technology from fuel tanks to defy the challenges of drinking beer in zero gravity. Uh, it's inspired by the unique surface of the moon and the sensation of floating in space. The black aluminum bottle design includes a wicking insert that allows the beer to flow in zero gravity. Again, I don't know how big the market for that is going to be. Exactly. So I wish them luck in selling that. <laughs> Yeah, How much the research and development went into that versus the yeah. pr potential profit? That a doctor dedicated his time to this is yeah. mildly yeah. disturbing yeah. to me. <laughs> but, you know, hey, maybe it's a passion well, to, project. To test it, you know, they probably have to get up in one of those uh, big airplanes and do the fall for however many minutes they do to get that zero gravity feel when they're, wow. when they're training people. Uh, otherwise, how do you really test this thing on Earth? Dedication. Yeah. Uh, this one's an interesting one, especially for us here in the Seattle region, where we have the ban on plastic single-use straws. Uh, this is titanium straws. An American bike manufacturer decided to help the drinks industry reduce plastic usage after it decided to sell straws made from leftover tubing. 
the company is called Firefly out of Boston, Massachusetts. They started selling titanium straws on July 24th in three sizes, 5, 8, and 10 inches. They sold out of all of them in less than 24 hours. Wow. Uh, they said they used up to seven and a half years worth of titanium scrap metal in less than 24 hours. Uh, the straws can be shipped overseas. They can be made to order. I mean, if you pick the length and color, um, if you want it bent or straight, they will do that for you. Just be careful because plastic straws, you know, if you're going to take that sip and you accidentally jab yourself in the top of the roof of your mouth, not an issue with plastic straws, but with any kind of metal, especially a titanium straws, you're going to cut the heck out inside your roof of your mouth. So beware of permanent straws. Yeah. But you mentioned here in Seattle where, you know, they're moving to that no no plastic straw ban that this could be something we could see popping popping up around and maybe not titanium, but other different types of uh, other creative uh, straws. Possibly, possibly. Next on the list is a wine game app launched in June. It's called Wine Game. It's a new app that transforms any collection of wine bottles into a multiple choice blind tasting quiz inviting players to test their taste buds while learning about wine in a fun and informal setting. It was developed as a late-night lark between two co-founders. They would often challenge each other to name the wine hidden inside of a paper bag, and they decided to make an app out of it. So the app works by inviting a host to first input the wines they have by taking a picture of the label. Uh, They then conceal the wine from guests. Players log in to their own device using the code generated by the host, and then uh, the app will generate a multiple choice quiz that challenges the players in turn to identify the grape varietal, the country, the region, the vintage and label of wine, and it draws in a database that includes uh, almost every bottle of wine in the world. Uh, the app is free to download from the Apple App Store and on Google Play. And this actually sounds like a cool invention, and especially if you're hosting friends. Uh, we've talked with you, Mara and Lydia, about when you go to parties, you usually show up with a bottle of wine. And uh, this is the kind of thing where anybody can participate, and it requires nothing more than your smartphone and a bottle of wine. I can do that. I would really like this game. It would be fun. I don't think I'd be very good at it. No, no. I would embarrass myself terribly. (laughs) But if everybody's kind of on the same level, no one's a sommelier, then you can have fun just tossing out, you know, your guesses and seeing who gets closest. (laughs) Yeah. If you're the ringer or the sommelier, you have to go in the other room for this, this part of the evening. You would be surprised how good you could get with lots of practice. Yeah. yeah, good point. All right, next on the list. This is something that I definitely plan to avoid. <laughs> Alcohol made from tree bark. Uh, researchers at Japan's Forestry and Forest Products Research Institute have created alcohol made from tree bark, which they say resembles the qualities of an alcohol aged in wood barrels. The 15% alcoholic beverage is made by pulverizing wood into a creamy paste and then adding yeast and an enzyme to start the fermentation process. The team said the alcohol uh, presents better than a distilled beverage, with four kilograms of cedar wood uh, producing about 3.8 liters of liquid. Uh, the Government Institute aims to commercialize the product with private sector partners and has they plan to have a liquor store on shelves within three years. Now, I want to caution people, this is very dangerous. The one thing to consume the uh, alcohol in its base uh, state, in this case, 15% alcohol beverage, like a, like a wine, okay? But if they actually distill it, and make it into a distilled alcohol, they're producing methanol, and that is a deadly thing. Do not take this product and distill it and drink it. Uh, that will kill you, okay? So yeah. no, no, no. be very careful if messing around with tree bark alcohol. Wow. I just, I, I don't know about this one. I'm with you. It doesn't sound delicious. No. This <laughs> uh, is, to use another pun, uh, this is sobering. Next up on the list of inventions is an alcohol monitoring biochip. Engineers in the U.S. have developed a tiny biochip that can be injected into the body to monitor alcohol levels. 
over a prolonged period of time. Uh, the initial aim is to support patients that are in substance abuse programs. It was developed by a team at the San Diego Jacobs School of Engineering. The chimp can be implanted uh, just under the surface of the skin and is powered wirelessly by a wearable device such as a smartwatch or a patch. The ultimate goal is to develop a routine, unobtrusive alcohol and drug monitoring device uh, for patients in these programs to be able to uh, track their progress. So this is a, a fascinating use of technology, and uh, I think you're going to see this more and more. Um, I could also see it, especially, think about this. Now, you two work in the sports environment. If they have the chip dialed in for drugs and performance-enhancing drugs, especially, and they put this in every athlete on a major team, mm -hmm. NFL, basketball, hockey, and they were able to track this wirelessly, it would change dramatically the risk profile for athletes uh, as it relates to their contracts and playing in the leagues. Wow, Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it would be interesting, yeah, to see uh, how players' unions would, would feel about this and sort of the uh, in, implied invasion of privacy. But, yeah, I agree. This We went from talking about a guy developing uh, the beer bottle on, you know, maybe a passion project, but... These people obviously putting the science to a good use because it seems like it could have a lot of uh, important applications. Absolutely. Next up on the list of inventions is this eco-friendly six-pack ring for beers. Uh, in January, Florida brewery named Saltwater announced it was the first to use what it claimed is the first eco-friendly six-pack ring made from byproduct waste and other compostable materials. They call it E6PR. Uh, probably stands for the Eco 6 Pack Ring. According to E6 PR, when properly disposed, the eco friendly six pack ring finds its way to a compostable facility where it will degrade literally in a matter of days. It also states that the product is made from compostable organic materials, meaning it should be ingested, uh, that if it should be ingested by wildlife, it will not cause them harm. This is a great thing, especially for in our community where we live in Puget Sound and stuff gets out in the ecosystem and it causes issues with birds, fish. Uh, mammals and so on. So having something like this with the large number of microbreweries or craft breweries you have and the amount of beer that's consumed, this is a great invention. Absolutely. I like what Maura said earlier about just using something that uh, you know was going to, to be waste anyway and finding a way to repurpose it and recycle it. And six-pack rings are Tremendous. something you, you've heard about, like you said, causing damage to animals for a long time now. So that's awesome. Yeah, it's good. There you have it. Some of the 2018 biggest innovations in the world of alcohol. Our next guest is pretty creative herself, Kendra Holly of the website Peace, Love, and Low Carb. She's also written many keto cookbooks. She's going to tell us what exactly keto is and how you can live that lifestyle and still love food as much as she does. That's coming up next on Cast Club Radio. Back to Cast Club Radio. Right now, our friend Kendra Holly taking some time to chat with us. Uh, she's the face behind the blog Peace, Love, and Low Carb, and also multiple best-selling cookbooks, including Cravable Keto, Keto Happy Hour, and Thirty Minute Ketogenic Cooking. You have to tell us, Kendra. Both Moore and I, we are food lovers to the extreme. But first of all, can you give us a little background about what is keto? So the, putting it into the simplest terms, it's a low-carb, high-fat, moderate-protein diet. So the biggest percentage of what you're taking in is your your fats, your higher fats, than, like I said, the moderate protein. And you're keeping your carbs in your lowest macro, macronutrients so that you can switch over from burning sugar to burning fat. Okay. Okay. Perfect. And, right, well, so you got me as soon as you said uh, high fats. I was very into that. <laughs> yeah. 
So what is your background and how did it lead you to keto? Because I know that you personally went through a lot of different diet crazes and how did you land on this one and why it worked for you? You know, it started out of just a need to lose weight. And then I always tell people that I ended up in an accidental career, which sounds (laughs) funny, but it was just born out of this passion. But my initial kind of foray into low carb dieting, if you will, or keto was just out of a desire to lose weight. And I had a friend that I worked with and she said, have you ever heard of the Atkins diet? You know, we could eat bunless cheeseburgers and ranch and we can drink like Michelob Ultra, a low carb beer and we can lose weight. And, you know, when something's pitched to you like that, I'm like, sure, I'm in, I'll try it. <laughs> you know, because I had already tried like, you know, starvation, every wrap, pill, lotion, potion, you know, everything except for mm-hmm. actually hard work and focusing on my nutrition. And so that was just kind of how I got started. And then it kind of took on a life of its own from there. And you've worked in the in the restaurant industry for a while. How did that also play into to your accidental career? Well, I've always loved cooking, and I worked in the restaurant industry for 15 years. But the funny part about that is I always worked in the front of the house. So I worked, you know, server, bartender, management, HR. I never worked in the kitchen. I just always loved food, loved being around food, loved cooking. And so that kind of helped me figure out how to develop flavor profiles and what foods would go together and kind of gain a lot of inspiration from there that was missing from growing up. Because I grew up in a very meat and potato household where all of the meat was just whatever was on sale that week, cooked well done, and our only condiments were ketchup and salt and pepper. So I definitely didn't have like the cooking gene from birth on. I had a very similar experience waiting tables. My my dad always served us well done steak. I slowly learned to you know, do it medium well and then medium. And I didn't, you know, like wine when I first tasted it. And then you do enough wine tastings trying to learn to pair them with food. And and the restaurant industry really helped evolve my palate. Definitely. I always thought that I just didn't like steak. And people would say, who doesn't like steak? And I would just say, (laughs) it's just not for me. And I had just never had a properly cooked steak. It was just like this eye-opening experience when I once I had a properly cooked steak. Well, something else that you mentioned that makes diets hard to stick to is that they get boring. And I know you're really big on variety. How do you incorporate that into your website and your recipes? Well, early on, I knew that if I was going to find any success with low carb, that I had to, I couldn't feel restrictive or limiting and that it had to incorporate the foods that I already loved. So instead of saying, I'm never going to eat pizza again, or I'm never going to eat macaroni and cheese again, I just figured out a way to put those in my template and make all my favorite foods in low-carb variations. And so I just really started getting as creative as I could in the kitchen, you know, making nachos completely and making the chips completely out of cheese, you know, making just this really rich and delicious mac and cheese but with cauliflower instead of noodles. And so I just really refused to take any one food or food group off the table and just made it work for me. That's pretty impressive. How did you manage to keep the variety while still staying motivated? So for the the average person that's out there that it that might be like a little intimidated by this, like is it still easy enough to make these meals? What whether it's the shopping part of it or the the time to you have to put in behind it? Yeah, definitely. And that was kind of the main area outside of, you know, redefining those comfort foods that really helped my business grow and helped my blog become successful is that I've always kept it very easy and accessible so that even the most novice cook or the busiest person with just 30 minutes spent in the kitchen could go to my site and find something delicious. So no ingredients that you couldn't find at your local grocery store, no weird specialty ingredients and no overly involved 
recipes that are going to make you feel like you need to go to French culinary school to create them. <laughs> <laughs> I loved this little bit about you and the about me too, though. You said that people would probably hate going uh, grocery shopping with you. Why is that? Um, thankfully, my husband is the same way. It's bizarre. We will like look at and touch everything. We like finish <laughs> to turn running into the store for like band-aids into like a, an experience. <laughs> we just, I don't know. We both just really like grocery shopping. Like I would rather walk around a grocery store than a clothing store. But that's why I say most people would be like, can we just get in and out? I hate grocery shopping. And I'm like, can we stay here all day? Can we go to multiple grocery stores? <laughs> that's amazing. Is there one aisle that you get like particularly caught up in or that you're just fascinated by? I'm very much a shop the perimeter type person because that's where all of your healthy whole foods are going to be. But I really believe that you eat with your eyes first. And so I'm always really drawn into the produce section just because of all the colors. And that's where it like sparks a lot of creativity. So a lot of times I'll create dishes just based around color palettes, which, you know, it sounds like it would be more geared towards painting, but that's kind of part of my creative process as well. So I would say probably definitely the fresh produce area. Yeah, that's I think that's a really good pointer that's simple that maybe people forget. But something I also noticed in reading about you was that you had the same experience as I did in the restaurant industry. Also, not really enjoying so much waiting on people because it can be it can be a not fun experience. I know you mentioned that hangry people aren't very nice, but it seems like um, similar to some other bloggers that we've talked to, you were able to really embrace the social media community and they've been a real support in your career change. Yeah, social media can be a blessing and a curse because, you know, once you have the anonymity of a keyboard, people say things that they would never say to your face. So Mm -hmm. in some regards, it's a lot like working in the restaurants because I was always (laughs) just blown away by the things that like a hungry, angry person would say to me. And I'm like, hello, I'm a human. Do you remember this? But um, social media has been like a great opportunity too, because I can really engage with my audience and show them what I'm all about and really connect with them. And I've never been a highlight real person so I've just been very candid about like my own weight struggles you know you know life's not perfect and I think people can get really isolated in our social media age like scrolling looking through the highlight reels of everybody's perfect marriage their perfect weight you know and so I think I've found a lot of success by just always being authentic in everything that I do. Yeah, that makes it pretty relatable, I think. And when you're willing to be vulnerable about something so personal like that, I think people that is very endearing to people. Well, among all these cool things that you're doing, whether it's through your blog or writing cookbooks, I know you've got something in particular that you're working on right now. I am. My own personal diet has kind of taken a new turn. So I've recently gone dairy free due to some food insensitivities. And so that's the great thing of what I do is I can just take my career and guide it towards wherever I need to be. So I'm actually, my next book is a dairy-free keto book, which I think there's a really big need for. Perfect. And when will that be available? When can people get their hands on it? The title is Dairy-Free Ketogenic Cooking, and it should go up for pre-order by the end of next month, and it will release in spring of next year. Okay. So something to look forward to. And uh, where could people pre-order it if they are already interested? Um, once it goes up for pre-order, it will be available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, uh, Books A Million, IndieBound, wherever books are sold, we'll take pre-orders for those shipments. Well, perfect. Well, uh, in the meantime, uh, we usually always ask people if there was a cocktail party that they were throwing, what we would be drinking. Is there something that can fit into the keto lifestyle that we'd be drinking at your cocktail party? Definitely. I wrote a whole book called Keto Happy Hour that's got a lot of them. But most <laughs> recently, the drink I've been kind of stuck on is a strawberry basil 
mash, uh, and I did that with, I used the Heritage Brown Sugar Bourbon and fresh strawberries, basil, lemon, a little bit of low-carb sweetener, and it's just been really refreshing on these super hot days. Oh, it sounds delicious. Yes. I'll take one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, thank we'll you. bring around. Yes. <laughs> Thank you so much, Kendra, for taking the time to chat with us. And I know you must be super busy uh, with your family, with all that you're doing. So thank you. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Up next, we talk to our friend Distiller Dane. He's got a brand new top five for us. And we have a delicious rum cocktail that you can make for a crowd. That's next on Cast Club Radio. Welcome back to Cast Club Radio. Right now, we're joined by one of our favorites, Distiller Dane. How's it going? It's going really good. How's everyone doing over there? Good. Awesome. Trying to enjoy the, the last bits of summer here, man. School right around the corner. Yeah, summer keeps on rolling in. It hasn't stopped. I've been loving it. <laughs> good. Well, I'm guessing that something summer-related has found its way into your new top five this week. So what do you got for us this week? Uh, this week, number one on my list is a new place I recently checked out in Tacoma. Um, I think it just got built out a couple months ago, but it's called the Alma Matter. Oh. Um, it's actually uh, basically an incubator for artists to display and perform their work, but there's a whole bunch of different sections to the building. Um, so there's a bunch of artist-driven work, performance and gathering space, but uh, one part of it, it's a nice little coffee shop with kind of like a little artist lounge. Mm-hmm. They also have like a studio and a full-on music venue in there. Um, there's also a restaurant that opened up called the Matriarch Lounge, which is really cool, and this is obviously what I went out and checked out out, but their menu is full of uh, small shareable plates, lots of interesting things, and they actually, unlike most places, specialize in brandy and have a pretty killer brandy list on their menu. Oh, nice. Brandy is a spirit I don't know that much about. Yeah. That's interesting. I know. I learned a little bit more when I was there, um, and then outside, there's this huge outdoor area with all these kind of interactive art exhibits, so there's a lot to do here, and definitely recommend going and checking it out. Very cool. Okay, the Alma Mater, right? Yep. Perfect. What's number two on the list? Number two on my list, you may be familiar with it, is chartreuse. Yes. Very herbaceous. I would um, say it tastes like Ricola. Ricola cough drops. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, so chartreuse is actually a, a French liqueur uh, made by monks over there with a super secret recipe um, that apparently they use up to about 130 botanicals in the recipe itself. Wow. The most common ones everyone's probably seen are both uh, the green and yellow chartreuse, both liqueurs. The green is a little more earthy and spicy, kind of vegetal notes, um, very pungent, is at a higher proof, uh, while the yellow is a kind of a milder and much more sweeter flavor profile to it. And one of my favorite things to do after dinner, of course, is to get one of each of these liqueurs in an empty glass uh, with one ice cube in it, and I make my own little blend of each one together in the empty glass. Nice. Yeah. What, do you, what do you call that? There's actually a name for it. I can't remember off the top of my head, but there's also um, a cocktail lounge in Baltimore. Um, I think it's called the Bookmakers Cocktail Club. And they are apparently the only account in the world that actually has a blend of the green and yellow on tap in their establishment. Wow. Good claim to fame. They don't say what the blend is. I normally do a 50-50 and the flavors of both of them combined. Uh, it's, it's pretty fun to try them separately and then blend it together. The last time I had chartreuse, I was in Anchorage, Alaska. I was at the Corsair which was a very high-end restaurant. And I was at the bar, complaining to the bartender about this headache I had. So he mixed up equal parts chartreuse with absinthe and gave me two oh. Advil. And uh, the combination made my headache go away. Oh, wow. All right. I was, thought it might be because you passed out. 
No. <laughs> no it's more headache. <laughs> I don't know if it was the chartreuse or the absinthe or the Advil or both. <laughs> the wish is it also heals. <laughs> number three. All right, number three on my list is my summertime number one to-go ice cream treat or on-the-go ice cream treat, and that is the swirl cone, which is a mix of vanilla and chocolate swirled soft serve. Mm, nice. Classic. <laughs> you guys ever indulge in the swirl cans? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, whenever I can get, I, I feel like I there's not a good place right around me to get to. Is there a favorite spot of yours? Well, widely available, DQ, Dairy Queen. Sure. Um, always tends to have it. Some other establishments don't carry chocolate soft serve. And it's kind of funny. They actually claim to maybe be the ones that invented it in the 1930s. There's also, I believe, a man uh, where it kind of came around. He had like an ice cream truck and it broke down. So he just started selling his ice cream half melted. And that's where <laughs> the kind of banger popularity of it came from. Uh, Costco used to have really good soft, swirl soft serve, but they just replaced their chocolate with acai berry soft serve. Well, oh, I have not tried the swirl vanilla with acai, but I... Um, I'm kind of sad about the chocolate leaving. Wow. Yeah. In Tacoma, over in the stadium district, they've got Frisco Freeze. And in Fife, you can go to Quick Pick. Oh, so nice. plenty of options. Okay, good. But don't hold out. Go get that swirl on. <laughs> Love it. What's number four? Uh, number four is very popular, but I actually went to the main park portion of it this weekend, the last weekend. And that is the Chambers Bay Park and Golf Course over in University Place. Oh, yeah. And um. And I haven't walked through the whole thing, and it's so much larger than I thought. It's a 930-acre park on the water as well um, that obviously has the famous golf course, uh, the PGA Tournament, which is there. The whole paved walking trail, which is really nice, kind of an easy walk too, but there's over three miles of trails. And it actually used to be like an old sand and gravel quarry, so off parts of the trail, they still have remnants of this quarry there, and it's kind of really cool to see in person as well. There's an off-leash dog park which is always great for the dogs. Yeah. And um, there's actually a lot of beach access on there, and there's a little over a mile and a half of beach access along the Puget Sound area right there. Awesome. Beautiful views, I'm sure. All right, what's five on the list? All right, number five, my favorite berry of the season, and that is blackberries. Um, some might think it's uh, kind of obnoxious, invasive to their yard or land, but some to others like me, it's a delicious berry overall. <laughs> um, this is the season right now, so they're all starting to ripen and ready to pick. Uh, I remember when I was younger, I was not allowed to pick them because they stain your clothes, but I'd still go out there and come home covered in blackberries all over myself. Um, my favorite thing to make with them is a blackberry cobbler. Yeah. And this summer... Because of the heat, they are especially sweet right now as they're ripe on, on the uh, vine. So this is the time to go get them. You can find them almost anywhere. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, you don't have to search far. Go outside, and they're generally free to pick as well. And now I'm thinking of, like, blackberries with the soft-serve ice cream. Oh. That sounds really good to me. I think while blackberries are still fresh, you can make a blackberry smash, grab them, muddle them, and uh, add some ice and BSB and mix them around. Have a good cocktail. Yeah. Delicious. Well, Dane, thank you so I might much. I have to whip that up with my cobbler. Uh, yeah. Well, Dane, thank you so much for another great top five. Plenty of things for us to do now heading into the, to this weekend. So we'll talk to you soon, my friend. All right. Take care, everyone. Back to work. Well, speaking of great cocktails to make, Justin, you've got another recipe. Another recipe people can try out. Yeah, we do. Uh, we're changing things up a little bit. We've not done a lot of rum recipes on Cast Club Radio, but uh, the last week, August 16th, was National Rum Day. Never too late to celebrate around our house. So in honor of 
our releasing rum for the first time in our Eugene distillery. We came up with this planter's punch recipe. Two ounces of white rum or silver rum, same thing. One ounce of orange juice, one ounce of pineapple juice, half ounce of lime juice, and a half ounce of grenadine. And then, of course, grab your uh, Agnostera or other cocktail bitters. So you're going to get a highball glass, add ice. Uh, if you can get a, one of those really big, beautiful cubes, it's great. If you want to get the uh, really fine shaved ice, like the slushy ice, it's also great. Add all of the items into your shaker. Shake it vigorously. Strain it into your highball glass and uh, garnish it with some skewered pineapple or oranges or cherries or all together like a uh, kebab. And uh, you might want to sprinkle a little bit of grated nutmeg on top. Give a little bit of extra pizzazz. So that's, again, that's two ounces of white or silver rum, an ounce of orange juice, an ounce of pineapple juice, half ounce of fresh lime juice, half ounce of grenadine, and a couple dashes of bitters. Delicious. This also sounds like a good entertaining one that you could make in a bigger batch. Absolutely. Yeah. And again, uh, when you batch them, you can, uh, especially if you've got the uh, shaved ice or carnival ice or something like that, uh, it's a little easier to get it chilled without shaking it. Perfect. Well, uh, you mentioned rum and being served in your Eugene tasting room. So it's just another reminder of the many places that people can come check out Heritage Distilling. You've got new locations in Seattle and Ballard and Capitol Hill. But where else can people find out more information? Well, go to heritagedistilling.com. You can go to any one of our social media outlets on Facebook, Instagram, uh, Pinterest, and others. And uh, if you want to learn more about Cast Club Radio, go to uh, Cast Club Radio on Facebook. And also, we ask you to go to iTunes and rate us. And as always, if you've uh, got pictures of these cocktails, if you're making them at home, we'd love to see them and love to have you share with them uh, on any of those social media platforms. And as always, we'll see you next week. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Cask Club Radio, brought to you by Heritage Distilling, part of Cairo Weekends on Cairo Radio 97.3 FM. Check us out on MyNorthwest.com to learn more and catch up on past episodes. Cask Club Radio, brought to you by Heritage Distilling on Cairo Radio 97.3 FM.